Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday to you. Welcome again to the Edge Church. My name is Steve. I'm one of the pastors here. And whether you've stumbled across this video, you're checking us out to see what we're all about, or you're gathered this morning in one of our house churches, really glad to have you uh, joining with us today as we're kicking off a brand new sermon series in the book of Malachi that we're going to be in together from now until Easter that we're calling Covenant people. And I can tell you, I'm excited about this series. Um, I, I really do believe that God has some things that he wants to speak to us as his people from his word. So uh, I hope you have a Bible. Uh, go ahead and grab that. Grab a pen. Grab something to write on. Take some notes. See what God wants to speak to you. Uh, but I want to start by just opening us in a word of prayer, and then we will jump into our text together. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for today. God, thanks for this time and this moment. Lord, thank you that you're present with us and you're present in your word. And God, as we open your word together, Lord, I pray uh, that you would speak, God, that we would hear you. God, that you would minister to every single heart, God, from the youngest to the oldest, Lord, that, God, that we would know you, that we know your truth, that we know your love, that we know your grace and your goodness. And and so, Lord, would you just open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive today? And God, I pray that you would speak through me today, Lord. I pray that, um, God, that I wouldn't get in the way, Lord, in any way for what you want to bring today. And Lord, just pray against any distraction, anything that would keep us, Lord, from hearing from you today. And God, that we would just be attuned to your voice. So, Lord, move in our hearts, I pray. Move in this time, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So go ahead, open your Bible to Malachi chapter one. So some of you guys already might be like, I didn't even know there was a book named Malachi in the Bible, right? Or, or maybe you actually thought it was called Malachi, right? And you're just like, what, it's Malachi? Uh, yeah, it, it is the book of Malachi. It's the last book of the Old uh, Testament. Uh, may, maybe some of you also are already asking the question, why the heck are we in the book of Malachi, right? Uh, like Old Testament, minor prophet, really? Like, aren't those guys just kind of angry uh, and upset, more of like doom and gloom kind of stuff, right? Like so much going on in our day and in our world, right? Like, is this really the place for us to be landing in the scriptures, right? Like maybe we should just be in the New Testament, maybe something a little bit more peppy. Maybe you'd say like, I'm into a little bit more warm, cuddly Jesus, right? All of that. Uh, but let, let me answer the why Malachi question with in two parts, okay, in two ways. First, um, we as a church have been and are committed to this thing that we call active discipleship, right? Like, and as a disciple or, or follower of Jesus, we know that a disciple is one who 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 is devoted to studying and knowing and and obeying God's word, not just the parts of the scriptures that we like, but but all of it. Jesus actually says himself in John chapter eight verse thirty one. He says that that if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And so so we want to be a people who abide in God's word. And the apostle Paul, when he's speaking to the church in Acts chapter 20, he says that as, as somebody who, who has been given the responsibility to the truth of God, that, that he must then preach the whole counsel of God. And so that's what we as pastors here also are aiming to do, right? Because Honestly, it's it's easy sort of in our bumper sticker theology culture to just pick and choose what we like in the Bible and ignore 
the rest, isn't it? We're, we're kind of this proof texting generation, meaning that we'll just go and take a verse and, and pull it out of its context to make it say what we want it to say and fit how we want it to fit. Uh, so we'll take something like Jeremiah 29, 11, right? Like, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. We'll be like, yeah, right? Like, I'll take that. I'll wear that on a shirt, right? But 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 we won't necessarily look two chapters to the left or two chapters to the right because, because ultimately it's not about my personal well-being, but rather what God is doing with his people collectively through Jesus and this plan for salvation that God has? Or, or, or what about like Philippians 4.13, right? I can do all things through Christ or through him who gives me strength. And we go, yeah, like that's good, right? I'll tattoo that on me, right? I'll, I'll use that to motivate me for the big game or whatever. But uh, but what's that really about, right? Like, like what it's really about is whether I'm on the mountain or in the valley, right? Like, like whether I have a lot or I'm in need, God is going to give me the strength to continue on whatever comes my way. It's not so much about our potential, but about our contentment. And what happens when we take verses out of their context is that it becomes easy for us to get confused and to miss what God is really wanting to say to us and to teach us about himself and, and about ourselves and about the world and about our purpose in him. And so one of the things that we can easily forget, or maybe that we've never even learned, is that, that the Bible itself is one story, right? It, it's 66 uh, books that are all telling a singular story, not 66 different stories. And, and so we need the whole counsel of God's word to see and know and understand this one big story that God is telling us. And so what you'll see throughout the scriptures is that it keeps referencing back to itself. Here's a picture that you can see, just to, just to show you the cross references in the Bible. Look at this image, right? Uh, all, like a rainbow, right? Isn't that wild, right? Like, like this is the Bible. It's going back and forth all throughout to remind you and me that it's all tied together to tell us this one story. And so all of it matters, right? As we look at the whole council of scripture, we get to see a clearer picture and have a greater understanding of God's big story. So that so that's one reason for Malachi. And if that reason isn't ultimately enough for you, uh, let, let me give you a second reason for Malachi. And it, it, it's really because I think that this book speaks a timely word to the moment we find ourselves in as a culture, as a, as a people. Uh, let me just explain that a little bit, right? Because here, here, here's what's happening in the book of Malachi. So, so God's people, they, they had rebelled again against God, and they, they end up then, they're sent into captivity, into exile in Babylon. And they're, they're there for about 70 years. And, and now here in Malachi, they, they have returned. Um, they're, they're back in the promised land. They, they've rebuilt the temple under Ezra the priest. They, they've rebuilt much of the city of Jerusalem and its wall under Nehemiah. And yet, in spite of all of this, right, the, the, the people are discouraged and they're dissatisfied as evil continues with, with all, all kinds of sin and moral deterioration, right? Does that, does that sound maybe a little bit familiar? There's also like massive religious skepticism and a spiritual apathy for many. Does that, that sound a little bit familiar in our day, right? Additionally, 
They're dealing with like all kinds of financial issues and hardships. There's this severe poverty in the land due to high taxes and inflation caused by the Persian economic policies, as well as this famine that's been in the land that's resulted in confiscation of property and debt slavery on a large scale. And to top all of it off, right, there are major institutions, the government and the priesthood, which would essentially be the church, are, are, are either inept or corrupt or both. Like, this could have probably been written in 2024, right? And, and maybe some of you, as we go into 2024, are still thinking that, that your political party is going to in some way rescue us, right? But, but ours, like theirs, is this broken and inept and corrupt system that cannot save. And we know this is an election year, so buckle up, right? Like, like for us, it's like this call, like, let our heart be set in the right place and devoted to the only true king in his kingdom. And, and, and so things here in the book of Malachi, for God's people, they're, they're a mess. And, and though they're back in the promised land, right, they, they still haven't really learned the lessons from their exile. So they're, so they're skeptical of God's love. They're apathetic in their worship. They're, they're indifferent to the truth. They're disobedient to the covenant. They're, they're faithless in their marriages and they're stingy in their gifts and offerings. And now they're questioning God. And, and so God then sends his prophet, his messenger to his people to answer their questions, to proclaim to them this one thing, return to the Lord. Return to the one who loves you and has called you his own. Fully, wholeheartedly, return to me, God says. See, ultimately, God is not interested in our leftovers. Like, God's not even interested in being our number one priority. God's desire is to be the piece of paper that all of our priorities are written upon. And so let's look at this together then. Malachi chapter one, starting in verse one. It says this, it says, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Now, now first off, that word oracle in the Hebrew is better translated as burden, okay? The word of the Lord is a burden that has been given to Malachi. It's a burden because the word of God is never like light and frivolous, right? Instead, it's weighty and it's it's heavy. It's not dull or boring, but it's, it's substantial. It's rich with truth. It, it, it's also a burden because even when it's good news, like it's still often met with opposition and rejection. And so, so, so this is a weighty word. It's the word of the Lord. And that word for Lord here is not like some general term that is used for God, but, but this is the word Yahweh, which is God's covenant name that he's given to his people to be known by. And so the word of the Lord is given to Malachi. And, and truth is, we don't actually know a whole lot about Malachi. There's not a whole lot that's written about him. He's not mentioned anywhere else in the scriptures except for here. But we do know that the name Malachi literally means my messenger. And, and so that's who he is. Malachi is God's messenger. That, that, that's essentially who I am today right? Like, like I'm bringing to you today, not my word, not Malachi's word, but God's word given to us to be shared with his people. And here's what God says. Verse two, I have loved you, says the Lord. That's a good start, yeah? I have loved you, says 
the Lord. Anybody need to hear that and receive that today? Right? Honestly, like if you miss the rest of everywhere else this message is going, right? Like take this one statement from God. I have loved you, says the Lord. And, And this isn't God here saying that like I have loved you, but now I don't because you're kind of a mess and you've been messing things up and getting things wrong. No, no, like th- this root, this word for uh, I have loved you in the Hebrew, this is this present perfect continuous action of God. So this is God saying, I have loved you from the beginning and I love you now and I'll love you forever. God starts with this fact of his love for his people. God doesn't come first and be like, hey, 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 uh, here's what you've done. So so here's kind of what you need to do to resolve that, right? Like here's what you, you got to do to get yourself out of this mess or, or here's what you got to do to get me to work on your behalf or to like really care about you and come to you, right? No, no, no. God, God starts where he always does with, I have loved you. 1 John 4, 19 tells us that we love because he first loved us. God always starts with himself. God, God never asks of you before he first lays his love upon you. I have loved you, says the Lord. But look what it says. It says, but you, the Israelites, the, the, he said, have said, how have you loved us? Think about this. How is it that you would answer that question in your own life today? Like, like how would you describe God's love for you? How has he loved you? And how then are you responding to his love? See, implied in their question here is a questioning of God's love because the people are looking around at all that's happened and all that's happening currently, and life is kind of difficult, right? Like, they're disappointed. They're discouraged a bit, and they're thinking probably like many of us often do is like, it shouldn't be like this. It shouldn't be this hard. And so in their question, there's this accusation against God. God, if you really loved us, then why is this happening? Ever said that? Ever felt that? My guess is that if we're honest, all of us have had a time or a season where this is the question of our soul. Some of us are there right now, right? Like, like you've loved me, God, how? You've loved, you're loving, how? Right? Like, like, how can I be experiencing this, this dumpster fire in my life? Right? Like, 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 how can I be, my heart be broken like this? How can my, my relationships be such a mess? How can I still be struggling, going through this struggle from this hurt or affliction or loss? How have you loved me? Because this doesn't feel like love. Right? Isn't that how we tend to think? Times of peace and ease means that God loves us and is pleased with us, right? But but times of hardship means maybe he doesn't. If you've ever felt like that or you feel like that, you're not alone. This is how God's people have felt. This is a question that God's people are asking of him. The good news is that God's not afraid of our hard questions. And, And God actually answers them. And and so, like, it would do us well to pay attention to God's answer, right? To hold on to what God has to say to us here. So, so, So it says, but you say, how have you loved us? And God answers, it's not Esau, Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. 
Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says they may build, but I will tear down. And they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Now, now this is one of those passages where you sort of read that response and you're like, huh? <laughs> right? Like, what? What is that answer, Lord? Like, like how have... You loved us by burning a city to the ground and, you know, swearing that if it gets rebuilt, you're going to like burn it down again. Uh, I'm not sure that that's the kind of love that I'm looking for, Lord, right? Uh, so, so, so like what's happening here? What is God actually saying to his people? Well, notice that God starts with a question in response. He says, is not Esau Jacob's brother? Well, why does God ask that question? And we have to know that, that God asks that question because the answer to that question contains for us the essence of his love. And so, so what's the answer, right? Was not Esau Jacob's bro brother? Yeah, right? Um, every Israelite would have known that. Yes, Esau was Jacob's brother. And not only was Esau Jacob's brother, he was his twin brother. You can read about that whole story in Genesis 25 if you want, but if you know that story, right, remember Abraham and Sarah, they have a son named Isaac. He's the son of promise. He's the one that God said, look, all the nations of the, uh, of the world will be blessed through your offspring because the Messiah ultimately was going to come from his line. Now, Isaac marries a woman named Rebecca, only Rebecca is barren. She can't have kids. And so, so, so he cries out to the Lord and he prays to God and, and she becomes pregnant with twins. And these twins, the scriptures tell us, are, are already fighting in her womb. And God actually says to her that, that she has two nations warring within her. And that the older, he says, will serve the younger. And so as the story goes, Esau is born first, following uh, Jacob following, holding on to his heel. And because Esau is the firstborn, it means that by all sort of customary rights and privileges, he would be the main heir to the blessing and inheritance of the family of his father. And, and, and so what is the point, right? Like, what, what is God pointing to here? Well, the point is that though Esau was the firstborn, God actually chose Jacob to carry his promise. And the Israelites God's speaking to are his descendants. So God's answer to the question of how have you loved us is simply this, remember who you are. Or maybe remember whose you are. God said, I have loved you with a sovereign, electing, unconditional, free love. That's how I've loved you. He's like, God's like, I've loved you with a sovereign love because I was under no constraint, no obligation to love you. I wasn't forced to. I didn't have to, right? Exodus 33, 19, God says, I'll show mercy on whom I choose and compassion on whom I choose. No one tells God what to do. God does what he wills and God deems it to be so which ultimately means that all that we are and all that we have are by the power and will of God and not the works of our hands. God's like, I've loved you with a sovereign love. I've loved you with this electing love because God chose Jacob and not Esau. God chose you. He, he made it happen, right? And you didn't. 
Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 to 6, it tells us, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In his love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with the pleasure, with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Do you see that? Right? Like, like God chose you in his love to be his son or his daughter. God picked you. Just like he picked Jacob, right, to be his. And embracing this beautiful truth and reality of being adopted by God is meant to curb both our self-righteousness or our self-hatred and deprecation, right? To lead uh, that leads us then to behold God's love. Think about this. No human being, no one has any right to sonship, no entitlement to being a child of God. This is a great miracle and evidence of the mercy and love of God for us. God picked you. Like this, think about that. God picked you. So, so if God picked you, you're in no position to have like some sort of puffed up chest, right, with pride on the one hand, but, but, but also not to be like wallowing in, in self-pity and condemnation and worthlessness on the other hand, right? Because God picked you. God chose you. He loves you with an electing love. He loves you with an unconditional love, right? Because like Jacob, he loved and he, and he chose you before you had done anything good or evil, before you had met any qualifications or conditions, before you did anything for him. This is what we hear the Apostle Paul tells in Romans 5, 8. He says, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? Think about that. Like, what were you doing to cause God to love you? What did you do for him, right? Like, what was the good work and good thing you were doing that drew God's love to you? Nothing, right? Like, in fact, while you and I, when we were at our worst, Christ died for us. God was loving us. So, so, so listen, you can't out-sin the love of God. And, and if that's true, that, then even after all these years, after all my flaws and falls and, and failures, how committed is he still to me? How, how, how much is he still moving towards me in his love? in spite of me, in spite of my weakness, in spite the fact that I'm a slow learner. Anybody else a slow learner, right? Anybody else feel like, man, I thought I was going to be further along than I am right now. Anybody else fight that thought that, that says like, like, I just must be a disappointment to God, right? Like 2,000 years ago, this probably sounded like a good idea to Jesus. But, you know, today, right? Jesus looking at it, he's like, you know, I died for him. I died for her, really? This is ultimately, too, why the gospel is not just good news for salvation, but good news for all of life. Right? Because it's our constant reminder that God loves us, not if or when or because. He just loves us always and is moving towards us in his love. And his love is free for us in the sense that it's all his grace. It's all his grace. We don't earn it. Right? We don't deserve it. It's not our work or our effort that makes it so. How have you loved us, they ask, by moving towards you in love and choosing you to be my own, like Jacob. That's what God tells them. 
like Jacob and not Esau, right? And, and I think they kind of go like, well, Jacob must have been really great. Nope, right? And, and God's sort of like, even though you're no better than Esau, you're no better than his descendants. I've chosen you by my mercy and grace and love towards you, not your goodness. And, and this truth is like meant to humble us. It's meant to fill us with a joy and a gratitude and a devotion to God because look what God has done for you. In spite of you, not because of you. And God assures you then of his love for you. Now, now, what about all that stuff that God says about Esau and his descendants, which is the nation of Edom? When God's speaking about Edom, he's talking about the line of Esau. And, and here's what God's saying to, to, to his people. He's saying, listen, don't worry about the wicked, right? Don't worry about your enemies because you're my people. I will fight for you. I will bring about justice for you. This is a declaration of God's constancy when it comes to God's love. God, God, yes, God banished Israel, right? And, and banished them from the land of Canaan, sent them essentially into exile in Babylon, but God brought them back. God disciplined them, but God restored them. God turned the heart of the king of Persia so that Israel could rebuild again because God is with them. God, God's saying to them, he's like, listen, I've, I've got this and I'm holding you. Right? I'm working it out. See, see, see God's not like wishy-washy, right? Like God doesn't like choose Jacob and his descendants and then change his mind about them and move on to somebody else, right? And this is meant for to bring about a confidence for us as God's children that, that we don't have to worry like, well, what if God abandons us? Like, like what if God just decides to pick somebody else, to pick somebody better? After all, like we sometimes don't really look or act like the people of God, do we? I, I mean, like, we're supposed to be his holy ambassadors, right? Like, like, we're supposed to be this people set apart unto God, the people who image him in our world, that show his love and walk in his ways. But sometimes we sure miss the mark, don't we? And if God was other than he is and has declared himself to be, then, of course, we'd just be left wondering and, and doubting whether God still loves us and if he's moved on from us to someone better. But God says, no, 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 I have loved you unending. I have set my purpose. I have set my plan that includes you. So, so because I have, I have set my face against your enemies, the Edomites, that's who they are, and, and they will not and they cannot ultimately outlast my judgment. I will overcome your enemies in my love. And that's that verse five. He says, you will see it with your own eyes. And you're going to say, Israel, though all this is happening, you're going to say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. God says, not only you, Israel, will be my witnesses to my love and my greatness, but this is going to be known beyond your walls. This is going to be known through the nations, right? That our God reigns, that he is the ruler of all of history and is governing it on our behalf. And his greatness will be known throughout the nations, the exalted king who rules as the one who loves us. And really what God's doing here is he's foreshadowing for the people this unfolding plan of God because this is what happens. In 312 BC, to the Napateans, they come up from Saudi Arabia and they overthrow Edom, right? the Edomites. 
And, and, and the Edomites then, they flee to the west and the south and they settle in Hebron and they, they, they take up some of the land of Israel. Alexander the Great comes along and, and he conquers this land and, and he calls them the Idumeans, right? The, the land of the Edomites, right? And then later the Jewish Maccabeans, they come and they reclaim this land and they force all the people of that land to, to become Jewish and to take on the Jew, uh, to become Jewish converts. And, and then finally, like Julius Caesar and the Romans, they come in in 47 BC and they conquer this land and, and, and he ultimately appoints an Idumean and Edomite named Antipater to be the procurator of Judea, Samaria, and Galilee. And right now you're sort of like, why are you telling all this history, right? Like, why do we need to know this? Well, here's why. Because Antipater had a son, and his son's name was Herod, who became the king of Israel. An Edomite from the line of Esau, who tried again to destroy the kingdom of God by slaughtering all the infant boys of Bethlehem, the promised king, the Messiah, right, that was coming through the line of Jacob, Jesus. Oh, only God's face was set against Edom. And, and God always makes good on his word. And so God protects Jesus, right? Jesus grows to become a man. Only once again, then, Edom comes against the Lord and his chosen for, and, and only this time it's Herod's son, Herod Antipas, Antipas is his name, Herod Antipas, and, and, and this is the guy who has Jesus turned over to Pilate ultimately to be crucified on a cross, right? You, you see this storyline of Jacob and Esau going back and forth and back and forth Right? How it's playing out. Yet, yet God, again, destroys the purposes of Edom. Jesus rises from death to life, right? Defeating the power of sin and death. So even in apparent victory, Edom cannot win. And even in apparent defeat, Israel is exalted. And through Jesus and God's people, the love and the greatness of God are put on display and extended throughout the nations. This is, this is what God's doing. God's saying, like, look, I have loved you. Not only have I loved you, not only am I loving you, but I will love you and I will continue to contend for you in my love. Like, like the, it's a never-ending love. And I'm at work in ways you see, in ways you don't, in ways you understand, in ways that you don't yet understand, that I'm working things together for your good and my glory. I'm doing it now. It's happening right now. It's in the process right now. It's in the works right now. Why? Because I've loved you. So, so, so what then is Israel meant to do with this declaration and proof of God's sovereign, electing, elect, unconditional, free, and constant love? Like, what are they meant to do with that? Honestly, it's kind of simple. Like, they're meant to receive it. And then they're meant to respond in kind. They're meant to behold and return God's love, to rest in his love for them and to become more constant in their love for him, to, to, to live wholehearted in obedience to the king with gratitude and affection for his goodness. See, this is the burden of the Lord to his people, to us today. Return to the Lord. God, God, God says to you today, I have loved you from, from before time began, right now in this moment, and forever into the future, I have 
loved you. And, and this doesn't mean like, like that we don't have work or to do or responsibilities, right? But that ultimately that we're meant to work from God's love and not for it. I know that's hard for some of us, right? Like, like, like sometimes it's just much easier to believe that I'm useful than loved. But God says, I have loved you. Not, not because, not if, not when. I have loved you. Receive it. And let this love, let his love be what compels you to walk by faith in obedience and with gratitude and thanksgiving. You, you church, right, are chosen by God. You are God's chosen people. What a privilege and a joy it is to say that, that God, you have chosen me and called me by name, right? What, what a heart-stirring truth to behold that God says to you, I have loved you and has proven it to be so. Let, let us also then be proven. Let, let us then return to the Lord and respond to his love by loving him in return with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength for the glory of God and the purposes of God in the world. I'm gonna close this in prayer and then I'm gonna leave you today with a few questions and uh, an activity, something to actually, a prayer to pray. So let's pray. Uh, God, thank you so much for your word today. Lord, thanks for this book of Malachi. Lord, probably a book that, that not many of us spend much time in, but God, for the way that you unfold your story to us and remind us, God, of your love for us as your people. Lord, a way that, the way that your story conveys to us, God, just how great your love is. And so, Lord, I pray that today for every single person listening, watching, God, that, that for every single one, Lord, that we would say yes to receiving your love. Holy Spirit, that you would do a work in our hearts, God, open us to receive the love that you have to give us, Lord, by your grace, by your mercy, in your goodness. Lord, that your love be poured out in our hearts. God, that the response of our hearts as your people would be to love you and respond. God, that, that we'd be devoted to you, Lord, that we would pursue you God, that we'd look to you, that we'd rest in your love for us. And Lord, that we'd share your love with those around us. So God, I, I just pray for that deep abiding work in every single heart. Lord, reveal your love to us today. And God, help us to receive it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.